The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. something that we love doing here on uh, the uh, Jericho Cruise. It's a great edition of Talk is Jericho with one of my all-time favorite opponents and literally one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. Here tonight, Kurt Angle! I love you too. <laughs> but let's just start right into that. How does that make you feel when you come out after all these years and the term of endearment that they choose to cheer is, you suck. <laughs> I feel like a wrestling god. <laughs> I earned that. The you sucks I earned. I definitely earned them. How did that all start? Edge. <laughs> Fans are chanting Angle to my music, and Edge decided, hey, Kurt, you know what the fans should say? They shouldn't say Angle. They should say, you suck. And that's how it started. <laughs> you, suck. <laughs> you suck. You suck. You know how hard that is to my ego, hearing that all the time? <laughs> that's your legacy here. <laughs> Uh, it, so much to talk about, but something that I actually thought about you a lot this summer while I was in the shower. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I watched the Olympics, the, the Summer Olympics, and, and my son, uh, Ash, has now started wrestling. And so I'm really kind of studying the technique of it. Yes, this is homecoming tonight, so he's not here. But watching wrestling and watching the Olympics and really kind of getting into it, and I always tell my kids, they're like, I know a guy who won the gold medal in 1996. Do you understand how hard that is to do? But what I, we, we have never really discussed this, and I know I might be saying this wrong, but you won the gold with a broken neck. <laughs> with, sorry, not with sorry, a broken say neck. Say properly. With a broken freaking neck. <laughs> And we know that part of it, but tell us a little bit about that match and that night and how did you do this with a broken freaking neck? <laughs> well, I had some good doctors. <laughs> uh, what happened was I, 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 I broke my neck at the Olympic trials and uh, I ended up, I didn't know it was broken, so I continued through the trials and I made the Olympic team and I went back to 
my hometown and I went and got x-rays and found out my neck was broken. Uh, four different vertebrae and I had two discs di sticking directly into my spinal cord, which could uh, chance paralysis. So the doctor said, you're done, you can't wrestle. And I said, I have to. Now, you know, this is 1996, so back then, liabilities were a lot less. You can't do it now. There's no way a doctor would clear you to do that. But back then, I, I found a doctor that would allow me to wrestle, but he wanted me to take a healing agent. I couldn't take a steroid because uh, the Olympics, and that was illegal, but he gave me a healing agent and decided that he would travel with me to the Olympics and stick me with 12 shots of Novocaine in my neck, all over my neck. So, you know what? I didn't even know my neck was broken because I couldn't feel it. <laughs> so that's how I won a gold medal with a broken freaking neck. I didn't actually have to feel the pain. Wow. And just think about that, like you said, you would never get cleared in this day and age. No way. That's almost like the, the old school mentality of, you know, I'll just rub some spit and dirt in it, you'll be fine, right? <laughs> yeah. But how that's big, how it was. How big was your opponent that you beat? He was a big dude, uh, you know, six foot three. He was an Iranian, uh, probably weighed about 245. I, I was always underweight. I wrestled around 205 pounds. It was in a 220-pound weight class. I didn't like cutting weight, so I always wrestled up a weight class. And I've always had success doing it. I always wrestled the bigger guys, and I was always successful. How could you beat guys that size, being at a 205, 210? I have no idea. I think I think because I'm short and stocky, <laughs> hard to score on. You know, Chris, you're you're in the same boat as me. <laughs> um, but like I said, that was one of the things when you came into wrestling that I always appreciated is that a lot of um, shoot athletes, pros, wrestlers, uh, MMA guys, when they come into our business, it's hard for them to understand that like. What do you mean I have to lose or whatever it is or I have to go off my feet? This guy couldn't throw me off my feet. Are you kidding me? You right off the bat understood that. Was it something you just accepted right away or was it a little bit of a weird transition to think of like, oh, man, I don't know if I, this guy can do this? Well, <laughs> in 1996 when WWE uh, offered me a contract, this was three years before I signed, um, I didn't understand it. And when I met with Vince McMahon, I told him, listen, Vince, I can't lose. <laughs> I'm an Olympic gold medalist. I'm undefeated. There's no way I can lose. And Vince is like, okay, this meeting's over. <laughs> but I started watching in 1998, and I got hooked. And I thought, the only way I'm going to learn this is by forgetting everything I ever learned in the past. i got to turn off my shoot instincts. I, I, can't, I can't wrestle. Like, when you wrestle amateur, you go by reaction. You don't think about what you're doing. You have a game plan, but you don't really, you know, you don't think about that. You just react. In pro wrestling, you have to think all the time. You have to show emotion. You have to, you know, you have to show the crowd when you're excited, scared, angry. Uh, you know, you have to include the crowd in on it. You, there's psychology to wrestling. I didn't know this, but so I turned off everything I ever learned, and I just started from scratch. And I let the guys at the Do Dory Funk Dojo, the training camp, I let them move me around and, and position me and, and lead me. So I, in order to be a good leader, I had to start as a good follower. And that's what I did. And, and when I wrestled you, when I started in WWE, I had a lot of matches with you. I was just listening to what you said and what, what you wanted me to do. You came out with all the ideas. I didn't. So I, I, just, I just followed until I was good enough to lead. 
So when you, you, you mentioned 96, so was it one of those things when you won the gold medal, Vince is calling you yeah. saying, hello, Kurt. <laughs> hello, Kurt. Come up to Stanford, Connecticut, and let's meet. <laughs> yeah. okay. So then it doesn't work out, but then you realize a couple years later, maybe I could do this. What was it that appealed? Uh, what was it about wrestling that appealed to you? You thought, after two years, maybe I will give this a shot. Well, I, I, I went through a difficult time. I wasn't done being an athlete. I did take a job as a sportscaster. I sucked at it. That's where you could chat you suck, is when I was a sportscaster. But I wasn't done being an athlete. I wanted to do something athletic, and this was a great avenue for me. You know, going from amateur wrestling to pro wrestling, uh, you know, it was the best decision I ever made. And uh, I, I knew that if I, if I studied it and learned it properly, I could be successful. It's not an easy business. Uh, we all know that, you know, when you wrestle and you're in it, it's a very difficult business to get the hang of. But once you do, you know, you, you, you end up being Chris Jericho or Kurt Angle or Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you end up being a big name in the business, and that's what I wanted to do. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. One of my favorite stories about you, um, they, they showed all these vignettes of, of this Olympic medalist. I believe it was the three eyes at the time. Yeah. Was it integrity? Corny as hell. What was it, though? Intel, uh, integrity, intensity, integrity, and intelligence. There you go. So they're building him up in, in 99, and it was this weird time frame where what was good was now bad, and what was bad was now good. So he was the squeaky clean... Uh, Olympic hero with the three eyes. You were meant to be brought in. I was supposed to be a baby, baby face. face. <laughs> Even though this whole thing just screams heat. They didn't. Vince didn't see that. No, but you know what Vince did? He did this on purpose because it, it it backfired on Rock. When Rock was trying to be a baby face, and it backfired on him. Vince knew it was going to backfire, so he wanted to go through with it. He wanted me to be a heel, and he was right. I was a much better heel than I was baby face. But it was the first match, I believe it was against Sean Stasiak, maybe on a pay-per-view or whatever. And people are booing the shit out of him. And he's, I don't know, we, we can, you can tell me in a second how, how you felt. But and I, my, I was so scared and nervous, you couldn't stick a pin up my ass. <laughs> but then halfway through, yeah. uh, Vince tells you. Holy shit. What it was a holy shit moment. <laughs> this is in the match unplanned. <laughs> I, I've never stayed, never worked on promos or anything. I just worked on my wrestling, and they started me very quickly. And Survivor Series 1999, and in the middle of the match, the referee comes to me and says, I have Sean Stasiak in a rest hold, in a choke hold. And he says, hey, Vince says, uh, get up, knock Sean down, go outside the ring, and grab the microphone and tell the Olymp these uh, fans that you don't... Um, you don't say Olympic gold medalist is boring. And uh, I was like, holy shit, I, I have to do this right now? He's like, yeah, do it right now. And I was like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> He's like, you have to do it. So I go out and I, I did it exactly how Vince wanted me to. And 
I said, you do not boo an Olympic gold medalist. I'm here for you. And the fans started booing even louder. And I was like, holy shit, does Vince want me to have more heat? And he did, obviously. So he, he wanted me to start as a heel, and I started as a heel. But keep this in mind. This is his first match in WWE, and maybe, as far as I know, your first match ever, at least in that big of a, of a spotlight. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. yeah this so is halfway a- through this huge moment, he gets told to grab a microphone and cut a promo, which most people would be terrified of, but he did it completely smooth. And I, me- I remember watching that going, this guy gets it right out of the gate. <laughs> well, I had no idea I had it. <laughs> I, I, I actually thought that um, I wasn't going to make it, to be honest with you, but uh, I was a really good student of the game, and I studied it. I watched you. I watched Chris Benoit. Uh, you know, the, you guys were my inspiration. I, I, I wasn't even looking at the rocks and the stone colds. I was looking at, you know, because you guys were, you had to prove yourselves all over again when you got to WWE. You guys were big stars in WCW, and then you came in, and Vince made you start back over again like you guys were brand new. And, uh, you know, watching you guys come up through the ranks, I came up with you guys. So you guys were my inspiration. Wow. Thank you. Um, but there's also something to being a very quick study and being a natural which is what you were that's why you could work with us and right out of the gate it's like we didn't have to carry you through anything you just knew what to do what you also knew what to do was the personality side of things you mentioned before that you sucked as a sportscaster you didn't you never sucked as a character in the WWE was Vince helping you with this were you just taking the reins and doing it on your own I, I did what I thought was best. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was terrified every time I had to go out there and cut a promo or do a pre-tape. Um, I didn't know how it was going to, you know, transpire. I, I honestly didn't think I was that good. And, uh, you know, when you have peers like yourself telling me that I was, you know, I'm, I'm just surprised because I thought I was learning on the job and I was getting better slowly. I didn't know I was that good at the beginning. So much comedy, too. And usually comedy and wrestling isn't main event, but you were great at it. Tell us some of the stories with, with Steve Austin and, and the Jimmy Crack corn and the cowboy hats and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> that, that was the funnest time. Doing the vignettes with Stone Cold Steve Austin was, was uh, the funnest time in my career. Um, I couldn't wait to go to work every week. It was like, I felt like a little kid in a candy store. Like, I'm able to pick and choose whatever I want and having these pre-tapes with Stone Cold. I mean, we did them for a good four or five months. And it was because Steve and I were both injured. And Vince didn't know what to do with us, and he didn't want to take us off TV. So he wanted to do something that was entertaining. And he put us together, which I didn't know we'd have great chemistry. I mean, we're the complete opposite, but it worked. And uh, we, we put a lot of smiles on a lot of faces, and that made me feel really good. Let's talk about the, the ukuleles and the singing and the, and the small cowboy hat. <laughs> All right, the story behind the small co- cowboy hat was Steve Austin was uh, heading home uh, one time after TV, and uh, he stopped. He was at an airport in San Antonio, and he saw this little tiny cowboy hat. He was like, holy shit, I got to get this for Kurt. <laughs> He goes, he said he has two big cowboy hats at home that he can uh, utilize for him and Vince. So he wanted me to look like the asshole, (laughs) the idiot. 
And uh, it worked extremely well. I, 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 you know, when, when he asked me if I would be cool to do it, I said, without a doubt. I like being, you know, looked at as an idiot or a dork. Uh, I've, been, I've been that my whole entire life, so I might as well continue on. <laughs> well, the reason why it worked is, Kurt, the dork, so to speak, is you could also go in the ring and basically stretch anybody in half if you <laughs> wanted to. And that was why it worked. You could do that side of the coin, too. Yeah, that, that's what Vince said. He said, listen, because uh, I was concerned about too much comedy, and I said, listen, I'm, I'm being a little too funny. He said, no, uh, you're an Olympic gold medalist. People know when you get in that ring, the shit's going on, and uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to annihilate your opponent. So don't worry about that. Just keep doing the comedy, and when you get in the ring, you know, have your opponent take you seriously, and the fans will too. And he was right, you know, but... The crazy thing is, you know, Vince McMahon, he changes his mind in six months and, uh, you know, he, he brought me in the office and I'm enjoying the shit out of being doing the comedy. He's like, Kurt, you're done with the comedy. It's ruining your wrestling. We're going to march start. We're going to make you the wrestling machine. You're going to be serious from now on. I'm like, you just told me that comedy was good. He goes, no, no, it's not working. <laughs> it's like, make up your mind, man. <laughs> There's uh, uh, there was a great time, though, you mentioned kind of the, the, the three of us, you and me and, and, ben, and Chris Benoit, we were kind of like, uh, we worked each other, obviously, at WrestleMania in the three-way. We feuded with each other all different ways, but they were bringing us all up together, and one of my favorite pay-per-views was fully loaded, uh, I believe it's 2000, it's 2000, I think, yes, and it was Hunter and I, three-way main event. Hunter and I was one main event, Rock and Chris was another main event, and you and Undertaker was the other main event. I remember that. Remember that? And it was yeah. like three kind of the of the corner posts of the company with the three, you know, kind of upcoming Upcoming guys. new yeah. guys, yeah. That was a big deal to me, and I was proud of all yeah. three of us to be yeah. in that position. Yeah, it put us in a different light, yeah. and uh, that's where we deserve to be, and uh, it was our introduction to the main event, and that we stayed there ever since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Another great thing, too, is, is your chemistry with Steve as comedy guys, but also in the ring, some of the classic angles that we had. Earlier this year, uh, I came to the ring, uh, and we, we sprayed our opponents, the pinnacle, with the bubbly truck. We sprayed them with champagne. <laughs> yeah. And when we were coming up with us, I said, I think the beer truck, I think the milk truck. I was like, I forgot about the milk truck. <laughs> Another great Kurt Angle moment. <laughs> Let's talk about that idea and how that came about. You know, Brian Gewertz came up with some great stuff. He was an excellent writer. You know, Brian. He, he, he loved was writing so, for you, too. Oh, man. yeah, yeah. It's me, The Rock. Um, I thought he wrote Myself. a lot for he you, did. too. He did. Yeah, yep. he did. And um, he came up with a milk truck idea. He actually stole it from Stone Cold Steve Austin, the beer truck. But he figured I was working with Steve Austin. Steve Austin did the beer truck thing. Why doesn't Kurt do the milk uh, truck thing against Steve? So that's how the whole thing transpired. It was a great program. I was having awesome matches with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I got to entertain all of you with the milk trucks, which was incredible. What was the, uh, the, the goofiest thing that they ever had you do that stands out in your head? Because you not only had the Jimmy Crack Corn, you had Team Eck, Edge, Christian, and Kurt. Lots of uh, goofy things that you had to do. I'm trying to think. Probably the, the dorkiest thing I did was imitate Shawn Michaels. I'm just a sexy Kurt. I, I, honestly, I did not want to do that. <laughs> 
All right, I'll sing it for you, but I'm not dancing. <laughs> All right, if you guys want to sing along with me, we're going to start here in five seconds, okay? Five, four, three, two. I sound like you, Chris, huh? Starting a, your rock band. <laughs> two, one. I think I'm cute. I got gold medals. I got the moves that makes them all tap out the angle slam, the ankle lock. Marty Janetti still can't walk. I'm just a sexy Kurt. I'll make your ankle hurt. I'm just a sexy Kurt. I'll make your ankle hurt. Now, let me just say, we didn't discuss anything we were going to talk about today. 20 years later, he remembers every single word. I have a photographic memory. Here's the thing, though, Kurt. You bring up a great point. And uh, Kurt Angle, who you might think he's been dropped on his head, you maybe might have a problem memory, he would be given a promo and would remember it literally word for word. You couldn't stump him. He, you remembered it all. I couldn't remember everything. Every single word was... They must have loved you. Oh, man. I, I, you know what? I, I was horrible on myself. I, I, I didn't know how to put together bullet points. Like That's how most wrestlers remember their lines or their promo is picking out bullet points, like five different bullet points. Right. I had to read the whole script word for word. And I studied it word for word, and it came out word for word. I don't know how this happened, but uh, I just have a photographic memory, I guess. And I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, with your style of wrestling, I want to go through some of your opponents and bring back some of the thoughts you had. You mentioned working with Shawn Michaels, who, in my opinion, is still, for what I like in wrestling, because it's all subjective, is, is the best ever for me. Oh, Chris, uh, hold on. On my podcast lately, I do want to say this. Shawn Michaels isn't the only guy up there. <laughs> this guy right here. This guy, Eddie Guerrero and Shawn Michaels are the three best of all time. Wow. I said this on my podcast. Wow, man. Thank you. That's, wow, man. Wow. I can't believe you're still going now. That, that's what amazes me. I mean, it's, it's incredible, Chris. Well, I appreciate that, Kurt. We'll, we will talk about Eddie in a second, but let's talk about working with Sean. What were your thoughts on working with him? Because I can't remember uh, the matches that you had, but you had so many great ones, and I'm just assuming they were great because it was with Sean. Oh, they were all great, uh, all four matches. I, you know, the crazy thing is I, I, the first time I wrestled him was WrestleMania 21, and we... The match was so incredible. This is how good Sean is. We did not lock horns. We didn't work on anything all week long. All Sean wanted to do was bullshit uh, while, we, while we were uh, putting our match together. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. We put the match together, but we didn't get in the ring and do any work. So I never really touched Sean before WrestleMania 21. And to have that type of chemistry that quickly and it, just to... At that moment, for 30 minutes, it was, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm wrestling a guy that's really special. Like, this might be the greatest wrestler of all time. And Shawn Michaels is. He, he proved that, you know, for so many years. And this guy, he, he won't retire, so he's going to take over. <laughs> 
But, you know, to, to go that long, Sean's been in the business since, what, mid-'80s? Yeah. Uh, to go that long and be that good for so long, uh, th that's a really difficult thing to do. When I came back to WWE in 2017, I wasn't the same wrestler. I lost the step, couldn't, couldn't stay with the boys the way I used to, and that's what made me retire because I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't able to step up at, that, at, at my late 40s. These guys that are able to do it, like Chris and Sean, um, it just amazes me uh, to, to be that good for so long, no matter how young or old you are, it's incredible. It's just interesting too, just as a, as a quick addition to that story, I worked with Sean at WrestleMania 19. Which you had a five-star match with thank, him too. Thank yes. you. Oh yeah, because you work with Brock, that's right. And we had never touched or locked up before that either. Never even been in a ring together. So some guys, right off the bat, you have this classic chemistry and this classic moment. There's also something to be said when it's a WrestleMania match. That takes things to a different level as well. It, it does. It definitely does. WrestleMania is the top pay-per-view, the top show of the year. It's, it's so special, and it's what the fans look forward to every year. It's what everybody in America and all over the world watches uh, it's the one sporting event that is the most popular event in the whole entire world. WrestleMania is the shit. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You mentioned, uh, I mentioned 19, you worked against Brock. What was your chemistry like with Brock being another, you know, amateur? Not at your level, but still a very good guy. Right? <laughs> he was pretty damn good. Um, but Brock and I did have great chemistry. We we're both amateur wrestlers. We add a lot of amateur wrestling flavor to our match, which was great. Uh, so I had great chemistry with him, but he is, he's on a, a, a whole different level as far as his, his body and his ability to be explosive. Like, the guy is the most explosive wrestler I ever faced. Uh, stronger than anyone I've ever been in the ring with. He is, he is a beast. He's, he's not human. He really is. Tell us about, from your angle, of the finish of 19 where Brock did the shooting star and it didn't work out too well for him. Well, that was my idea. I'll take blame for that. Uh, Brock used to use the shooting star press as a finish in OVW before he started up in WWE. Which is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Yeah. 320 pounds doing that. So I told Brock, why don't we use that as a finish at WrestleMania? And he was like, uh, I don't know. I said... You used to do it. I said, you can still do it, right? He said, yeah, I could do it. So, you know, that night, I remember I was uh, in the middle of the ring, probably a little further than I should have been. And uh, when Brock went up, I was like, oh, shit, he looks to uh, be a little too far away. <laughs> and I was like, I hope he makes it all the way over here. And the thing is, right when he went, you could tell he did like a second guess. He paused. And then he said, ah, oh, shit, I'll just go. And he went, and he did not make it. I mean, he landed right on his head. I thought he broke his neck, and my neck was broken at the time. I was like, oh, crap, we're both going to have broken necks. 
I'm going to have to hold this title for another month and put off my surgery. This is what I'm thinking about. I'm only thinking about myself. I'm like, not even Brock. I'm like, poor Kurt Angle. I got to wear this title another month and drop it the following pay-per-view because Brock broke his neck. And it, it was like, you know, I had no compassion for him. <laughs> So what did you do? Because instantly whenever something goes wrong like that, and once again, this is the main event of WrestleMania, last match, and they had an amazing match that builds this amazing crescendo, and then it all falls apart. What did you do? Okay, when I saw it, he landed on his head. Uh, he actually hit into me and knocked me to the side a little bit, and I rolled over, and I, I said, Are you okay? He didn't say anything. And I covered him, and I'm like, oh, shit, I just covered him. He's, he's not going to kick out. I said, Brock, kick out. And the ref's like, one. I said, Brock, kick out, two. And I said, Brock, kick out. And he kicked out at the last second. I was like, thank God. I said, Brock, can you get up? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, Brock, you have to get up. So I start picking him up, picking him up for him. And I'm getting him up, and I said, hey, can you give me an F5? He said, I don't know. <laughs> so I knew he wasn't there all the way. So I said, Brock, you have to give me an F5. And without pause, he kicked me in the gut, lifted me up, and gave me the F5. And that was it. That was the end of my title reign. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kurt's laughing. I thought his neck was broken. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another great opponent for you, for myself as well, there, chanting his name a few minutes ago, Eddie Guerrero. Eddie. Another just perfect chemistry for you. I loved Eddie, and, you know, Eddie and I were like, we were like brothers because we, we played hard and we fought hard. I mean, <laughs> Eddie and I have had a, a couple of fist fights, and, you know, we've had disagreements, uh, but, you know, you do with your brother, and... You know, with Eddie, um, he was so talented. And sometimes Eddie would overthink. You, you know what I mean. Big He's, time. And, and Eddie was just so good at what he did. He didn't have to think too much. It was all there in front of him. And he is, like I said before, when I talk about the greatest of all time, you got to put in Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, and Eddie Guerrero. Eddie was one of the most... You, when you think of a wrestler being the greatest of all time, you have to look at every category. You have to look at promo skills, pre-tape skills, in-ring ability, um, character, charisma. They all had it. T ten stars all the way across the board, all three of them. And Eddie was part of that. I mean, I couldn't believe how talented he was. And his body was really beat up. He, he was in a car accident. He broke his leg and, and I think his back. And... Uh, he, he was having a real difficult time getting around, but when he got in that ring, he was on fire. Like, Eddie would walk like this backstage, like an old man. True story. And then when he when he go through the curtain, hey, hey, you know, Viva La Raza. <laughs> so, Eddie was like, for the fans, he was Eddie Guerrero. For, you know, for us backstage, he was an old man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about one of the fights that you had. I remember there was a SmackDown where backstage oh, there was a fight. Okay, what happened was we had a, a fight in the, in the ring. We were getting head, heat on Eddie, and it was Luther Reigns, Mark Jindrak, and myself. I didn't touch Eddie, okay, so I, I couldn't have been the one that stiffed him. And Mark Jindrak and Luther Reigns were getting heat on Eddie, 
And when I got backstage, Eddie came back after the show, I, and I, we all wait in Gorilla and say thank you and shake each other's hand. And I went to shake his hand. I said, thank you, Eddie. He said, no, no. What you did out there was wrong. You were sniffing me. I said, Eddie, I didn't touch you. He said, bullshit. You were sniffing me. I, you, were, you were beating me up. And I, I pushed him. I didn't know what to do. I, like, he made me so mad. I pushed him. And he double legs me. An amateur wrestling double leg. And I get him down. <laughs> Gold medals, I got him in the front the headlock and I start choking him out. <laughs> So, so uh, Big Show comes in, and this is embarrassing, okay? Talk about having little guy syndrome. Big Show grabs me by my back of my singlet, picks me up, puts me on one corner, takes Eddie, puts Eddie in another corner. He says, you guys are done. And now I'm pissed at Big Show. I said, don't ever touch me like that again. <laughs> I mean, Big Show was so damn strong. He lifted me up with one hand. My legs were kicking. <laughs> so we get backstage, and I felt bad. So I went to Eddie's locker room to apologize. I get back there, and I knock on the door, and he opens the door. He doesn't say anything. I said, Eddie, listen, I just want to say I'm sorry. You know what Eddie said to me? I'm not ready yet. <laughs> So I, I go inside, I start attacking him. I'm, I'm fighting Eddie, we're throwing punches, and Bradshaw pulls us apart and like, guys, you gotta stop. I'm like, well, I said I was sorry, and this asshole doesn't wanna say he's sorry back. <laughs> but that's Eddie. Eddie is gonna apologize when he wants to, and I should have known that. All I remember him, he was yelling like, just because you're a Olympic gold medalist, you think your shit don't stink? <laughs> and afterwards, he's like, yeah, I went to double leg him. It didn't work. I said, Eddie, he's an Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> a double leg is the first thing you learn in amateur wrestling class. <laughs> Not a good call. <laughs> Bradshaw said the same thing. He said, why would you double leg an Olympic gold medalist? And Eddie said, because I'm a dumbass. <laughs> Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Do you remember we were like, it was in Fargo, Fargo Dome or something like that. Was it Big Show and Brock? Yes, what yes. What was going on? They were, they were trying to amateur wrestle each other or something? Yeah, you know what? Okay, the, the thing is, uh, a few months beforehand, uh, the Brooklyn Brawler went to Brock and said, how do you think you would do against Cardango if you guys had a wrestling match? He said, I'd kill him. He's too small. I weigh 100 pounds more than him. <laughs> so the Brawler came to me and said, hey, Brock said he would crush you if you guys wrestled. And I said, okay. So I go out to the ring. Brock's out there, and he's wearing sandals. And uh, I said, Brock, you would kick my ass, huh? He said, well, yeah, I'm a lot bigger than you. I said, well, let's get in the ring right now. He said, well, I don't have my shoes. I have sandals on. I said, let's go barefoot. <laughs> and Brock's like, nah, nah, I don't want to do it. So a few weeks later, we're in Fargo, North Dakota, and Brock's in the ring with Big Show. 
And he is annihilating Big Show. Big Show weighed 530 pounds at the time. This was incredible. Brock was picking him up and slamming him on his back. And I'm, now I'm getting nervous. So I'm like, holy shit, maybe it's good that I didn't get in the ring with him. <laughs> so I see Big Show, and Brock's back's to me, and Big Show's on the other side of Brock in the ring. And Big Show looks over at me. I'm, I'm on, on this side, and I said, get out. He said, oh, okay. And he gets out, and I walk up to Brock. I tap him on his shoulder. He turns around. I said, let's go. <laughs> Now, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm terrified. Because <laughs> he was throwing Big Show around like Big Show was nothing. So we start going at it. And uh, it, was, it was really tight. It was, uh, you know, rumors are I kicked his ass and uh, embarrassed him and pinned him ten times. That's not true. I took him down twice. He didn't take me down at all. It was, it was a very close match. And we went for a good 15 minutes. I mean, it, it was... But Brock's, Brock's a beast. He, he's the real deal, and I am bragging that I did beat him that night, though. <laughs> I beat a UFC champion. <laughs> it's damn true. There's such a difference, though, between your level. Of, uh, once again, I can't say how impressive it is that you won a gold medal. And listen, you could be a, a national champion, state champion. This is different level stuff. So It is. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, the Olympics or world championships, uh, world team, Olympic team, it's the same thing. The difference between a world team and an Olympic team is world teams on a non-Olympic year. So if you have the Olympics in 2020, the worlds are in 2021, 22, 23, the Olympics are in 2024. So the, the be on the world and Olympic team, that's a complete different level than Division I NCAA or Division II or Division III. Uh, and and the, the NCAAs are a complete different level than high school, than winning states or junior nationals in high school. So every level you go to, you just have to adapt. And you have to know that you're that good to be on that level. And uh, if you're not, you're going to get annihilated. But I, uh, I, I worked really hard. I trained my butt off from day one from when I was seven years old. All I cared and dreamed about was winning a gold medal. Uh, that, that's all I wanted to do. It's so crazy because when I actually won the Olympic gold medal, I woke up the next day, I was depressed. I was like, what the hell am I gonna do now? Because I never planned for anything after the Olympics. I went through a major depression. And what pulled me out of the depression was going to the WWE. Now here's something that we don't talk about a lot. In 2004 or five, you leave the WWE, which was a 2006. really 2006, a really big deal at the time. There was nobody leaving, and especially to go to Impact, which was it was, had been going for a while. But that was one of the biggest news items that Kurt is going to to Impact. What made that decision for you happen? I wasn't happy in WWE. After I did all the comedy stuff and I became the serious Mr. You know the wrestling machine. Um, I was getting injured a lot. Uh, I was spending a lot of time on the road. I uh, wasn't getting much time off. I had a painkiller problem that I had to kick. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. My, my marriage was in shambles. Uh, just a lot of personal issues. And I was very bitter. And I, I treated the company very bitterly, too. Um, uh, but, but don't get me wrong, they weren't listening. And that was the problem I had. I was getting injured all the time. I had a painkiller addiction. 
and not, not, nobody wanted to do anything for me, and I had to do something for myself. And what I did was I left the company in 2006 and decided I was going to start new somewhere else. I didn't want to go. I loved, I loved the WWE, but uh, I really didn't have a choice. I really believe if I didn't leave, I might have been dead by now. And uh, I didn't want that to happen. But it was huge for Impact, and the biggest business they ever did was with you, you there. What did you notice? Obviously, it's a lot smaller of a company. But what was your goal when you went there and see kind of what you're dealing with? Well, when I first got there, I looked around and said, where do I start? <laughs> but no, the TNA was a smaller company, and they were doing pretty well when I came in. They were making a little bit of noise, and, you know, we... We, we knew what was going on. We knew that uh, they had some quality wrestlers and uh, the company was, you know, run by Jeff Jarrett, who has a lot of experience in pro wrestling. Uh, it was just, it was the right time for me to enter that company. And when I did, it did a lot of good for the company. Ratings started going up. We went from one hour on prime time to two hours on prime time. Uh, we started, we were doing two million viewers a week on TV, which was... For a small company like TNA, that's really impressive. It's huge, yeah. And uh, I felt like I had a bigger purpose in that company. And uh, I felt like I was carrying it on my back. And I guess that's what I wanted. And uh, so I, I was really happy with the decision. I never intended on leaving WWE for 11 years. I thought I would do it for two or three and come back. But I enjoyed it so much. I stayed there for 11 whole years before I came back to WWE to retire. Thank you. I came back to WWE for all of you, by the way. I want you to know that. And we'll, we'll discuss that as well. But one of the things that I noticed when I first left WWE, same thing, I really didn't want to leave either. Uh, but I started working with New Japan. And when I went there... I remember the first match I had with Kenny Omega at the Tokyo Dome, and we went over some ideas. Thank you. And I said, uh, so who do we have to get this, who do we have to run this past? Who do we have to get this approved by? He's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, don't, do we have to tell anybody what we're doing? He's like, no. Gato knows that I'm up, and that's it. I was like, really? Wow. <laughs> we, and that's when I was like, oh, wow. We can actually be artists and be creative, be creative and not have to yeah. worry about going through the whole system. Was that one of the things that you noticed leaving WWE right away? Yeah, I had a lot more creative control, and I liked that. Um, I always had great ideas and great concepts, and I wanted to utilize those. And uh, it gave me the opportunity to do that in TNA. I thought that, that was the most important thing that I wanted. I, I was never a selfish wrestler. It wasn't about me getting over or going over all the time. I, I, I wasn't about wins and losses. I was about helping the company grow, and that's what I wanted. Samoa I was Joe, just going to say that. You read my mind. Mr. Undefeated. I broke his streak, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, and this is a true story, because uh, I was at a wrestling, too. Samoa Joe was my favorite wrestler at that time. He was just, I was like, this guy just looks like he's killing guys. And you know, obviously, he's not. And then you come in. I bought the pay-per-view okay. uh, <laughs> thank uh, you with my own money um, <laughs> <laughs> talk about the chemistry you had with Joe and what was your mindset to build this up to make it such a big match well Joe I came in Joe was undefeated I think he was like uh, 172 straight matches and I, I, I the company wanted to 
uh, slingshot, Joe and I, and I was like, you don't want to do this right away. They're like, yes, we do. We want to do it right away. And the reason was they wanted to get as many pay-per-view buys as possible. They thought that Joe was at his hottest in his career, and that I was a really big name coming in, and that this would be the, the beginning of something great for TNA. And I thought if we waited six to eight months and build it up, build up a program, it would be more beneficial and we'd get more, even more pay-per-view buys. But for some reason, they were spent on uh, making sure Joe and I went up right off the bat. And so, you know, there was no change in their minds. So Joe and I put together an incredible match. I think it went 14 minutes. It was supposed to go longer, but... Um, I'm not sure if I blew up or Joe blew up and got tired. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody did. But um, it was a great match. And Joe was really physical. He was technical. Uh, one of the best athletes I've ever been in the ring with. And that's, that's uh, saying a lot considering Joe's a bigger guy. I mean, he's a 300-pounder. You know, doesn't look like a bodybuilder by any means. But, man, he could go. I mean, this guy is one of the best wrestlers I ever got in the ring with. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You said you were there for 11 years. What were some of the other highlights for you working with, uh, with TNA? Oh, I got to wrestle with Sting. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I got to wrestle with AJ Styles. Uh, that, that, Let's that, talk about that. that. That was my inspiration coming into the company was I, I had my eyes set on AJ. Uh, you know, he, he was one of the greatest um, overall performers I've ever seen. The stuff he can do in the ring. He was great at technic technical stuff. He was great at high flying. He, he had the whole ball of wax. And uh, the great thing about AJ was you didn't have to do any work. I mean, when you wrestled him, it was like a night off. He did all the bumping. He did all the selling. He did all the flying around. All you did was catch him. And uh, I could go an hour and a half with AJ and not even break a sweat. <laughs> but he, he'd be exhausted. <laughs> but AJ... Um, uh, another wrestler that reminds me of AJ is um, Kenny Omega. Uh, very much so. Uh, th these guys are very, um, they're a step above everybody. Uh, for, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, but uh, they have the it factor. And uh, these guys put on tremendous matches. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm not buying all the, you know, six and seven star matches by Dave Meltzer, but... I mean, the only person that gets like six, seven, eight, nine stars is Kenny Omega, and and he deserves it. It's it's really incredible how how good he really is. Yeah. Was it ever um, frustrating for you being in TNA? And, and you said like you said you're doing two million uh, view viewers, and you did this great paper. Did you always kind of feel like was it frustrating kind of be in the same spot still though all the time? Yeah, I mean, you know, the hardest part about TNA was, you know, we, we wrestled in a studio 
it was a cool setup, but it only seated, you know, seven, eight hundred people. <laughs> you know, WWE, you're spoiled. <laughs> you know, 75,000 fans at WrestleMania. You know, bound for glory, we would get, you know, maybe six or seven thousand. <laughs> so it, w it was a blow to the ego, but um, you had to learn how to deal with it. But, um, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy my time in TNA. I don't get it as much now, but when we first started AEW, before it became as big as it was, I'm sure you got this a lot too. It's like, by the hey, way, you guys are doing a tremendous uh, job. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. But you'd be walking through an airport or something. It's like, hey, Chris Jericho, you still wrestling? <laughs> yeah, every Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get that in impact? Oh yeah, I still get it. I, I you know, if if you're not in the wrestling world. Uh, I get it, but if you're in the wrestling world, you don't know that I'm retired. <laughs> it's only been like four years, so you know, you know, get you get your mind together. <laughs> right, 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 right. Let's talk about what led you back to WWE. You said you did it for the fans, but what was your mindset to go back? Well, I wanted to retire there. I, I wanted to retire where I started, and my main purpose was for the fans. You guys have been so great to me, whether it was WWE or TNA. Um, it, it, really, it really is a testament to all of you, uh, what, the loyalty you show to your favorite wrestlers, and it means the world to me, and I just want to thank all of you for that. And this, this cruise is a great way to celebrate it. I think this is awesome. Yeah. So when you went back, was the intention to, to wrestle? Uh, I, I, I was hoping to have a title reign. Like, I was gotcha, thinking, gotcha. you know, but, but uh, I think the company felt I was a liability. You know, the painkiller thing, uh, the injuries I was having, my broken necks. I broke my neck four times in WWE. So um, I don't think Vince had plans of me of, of wrestling too much. And I think he was uh, more protecting me than uh, allowing me to go ahead and wrestle. So I understood that. But I didn't agree with it, but there's nothing you can do about it. When the boss doesn't think that you deserve it, there's nothing you can do to, do, to change that. And uh, so I had to deal with it. And it was tough. I mean, you know, I, I asked to retire against John Cena because I started his career and I thought he should end mine. And uh, I wasn't complaining about wrestling Baron Corbin because he's a great wrestler. He's, I had a lot of fun working with him. But I really wanted to retire with a big name. And um, I thought I deserved that. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. So, you know, there's nothing I could do about it now. I could cry over spilled milk, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to move forward with my life. Yeah, because like, like you said, it wasn't quite the retirement, like, you know, Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels type yes, of a vibe, yes. right? It was kind of almost in the middle of the card even, I think, at the... Yes, it was. Wasn't it, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't care to be on first or last. I just wanted to have a match with, a, with one of the biggest names in the business. That's all I wanted. And what did Vince say to you about Corbin about, about, or, or not, <laughs> not having a name? Well, Vince said, well, Kurt, uh, uh, you can do that next year. I was like, Vince, I'm retiring this year. <laughs> he said, well, if you wait another year, I could do that for you. I said, no, no, I'm going to do it this year because there was no way in hell I was going to wrestle another year especially in WWE, because all they were going to do was job me out for the whole year. <laughs> so I knew that I, I could see the, the, the writing on the wall, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to be a part of that. I, I love the fact that it's a classic Vince where it's like, 
we don't want you to wrestle too much because it might be a liability. But if you wrestle for another year, then we'll give you the main event match that you want. It's like, which one is it? Am I a liability or do you want me to have this Make big up match? your mind, damn yeah, it. What is it, man? Yeah. But then they moved you. Weren't you doing kind of a general manager thing for a while and kind of being that sort of a well, talent on screen? The, the issue was they did everything the complete ass opposite. They started with me, inducted me in the Hall of Fame. I was like, but I'm going to wrestle then. He said, okay, that's all right. We're going to induct you first. I said, okay. So they inducted me in the Hall of Fame. And that night, Vince pulls me aside and says, hey, you're going to be the GM of Raw. But I'm wrestling, Vince. Yeah, we'll get to that. I'm like, well, don't you do the GM thing after you're done when you're retired wrestling? <laughs> like, so he wanted me to get inducted to the Hall of Fame, then be the GM, and then wrestle afterward. It made absolutely no sense. So, I mean, that's what they did. And I understand why they did it. I don't think Vince had any plans of me wrestling. Did they ever talk to you about being a, a, an agent backstage or working in that sort of capacity? Yeah, that's what I ended up doing after I retired. I took the job as a producer, agent. Uh, I did it for a year. Uh, wasn't very good at it. <laughs> the thing is... I don't like computers, and you have to use a damn computer all the time, you know, and Vince is like, Kurt, open up your computer. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know how to do this thing. What's this, one, two, three, four, five? <laughs> I don't know what the hell to do with it, so um, I, wasn't, I was good at uh, giving the guys ideas for the matches, but I wasn't uh, a really quality producer. So uh, when the pandemic occurred, I was one of the first ones let go. <laughs> and I don't blame Vince for that, yeah. Such a strange thing, Kurt, Kurt Angle, let go. It's a strange one. <laughs> yeah. Really, yeah. I don't blame him for that. You know? And why don't you blame him for that? Because I, I, I wasn't uh, a full producer. I wasn't doing my job completely. I, I've noticed, though, a lot of times, and it's like, for example, when Wayne Gretzky became the coach of the Phoenix Coyotes, they didn't do very well. Uh, some guys, or Ted DiBiase as an agent, didn't do very well. Yeah. Some guys don't know how to tell you what to do. They just know how to do it. You know what I mean? And, I and might be one of those guys. Maybe that's one of the reasons, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I might be one of those guys. I, I did a lot of uh, teaching, instructing, and in amateur wrestling, and I was pretty good at it. But I never got into the pro wrestling instructing, and uh, I wish I would have, but... I uh, never did, and I didn't think I had any reason to do it. Now I'm being asked to do all these um, uh, clinics for pro wrestling, and I'm like, I don't do them. You know, they're like, well, you should start. So I might start doing it. I, I, you know what? All I can do is get better. Right. Yeah, so I might not be good right now, but I could get better in the future. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the things where I was kind of surprised when we were talking about Kurt Angle. Like, oh, I thought the WWE would want to keep you involved in some capacity because you have such experience and have such name value or they could send you to Malaysia for the new TV deal. Here's Kurt Angle. You know what I mean? It seems like there's a place. Be an there. ambassador. Ambassador, right. Well, that, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, they, they didn't offer me that job, though. <laughs> I wish they would have. They did offer me a few different jobs, though. They, they wanted me to be a, a coach at NXT, um, then they wanted me to manage Matt Riddle, which I was very interested in. And I thought that would be really entertaining. But the money was horrible. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, when, when we talk about money, um, it better be at least worth it if we're going to do it. This amount was not worth it, <laughs> uh, even for all of you. <laughs> 
So don't, don't, I'm not comparing, but I'm just He told you. me what it was. It wasn't worth it. <laughs> but the, let me put it this way. I think I was able to convince him to come on this cruise. I said, I can afford more than that. <laughs> oh, it's true. It's damn true. <laughs> Last few things, Kurt, as we start to wind down here. Another few that was popping into my head back into WWE is, uh, was with Shane McMahon. Uh, Shane is a great guy. He is not a trained wrestler. He gets very excited. He gets very stiff. But you guys always had great matches. How did you tame the Shane McMahon beast and make that happen? You can't tame Shane McMahon. <laughs> that's, that's the issue. I mean... When I had the match with him, the street fight at King of the Ring, oh my gosh. And you know what? I have to give credit to Al Snow. He actually structured that match. Really? Yeah, I think Shane added a few different uh, you know, trinkets in the match, but um, most of it was Al Snow, and it was structured very well. Uh, you know, the, you had the wrestling at the beginning, then you had the more, of the, more fighting, you know, uh, Street fighting, and then, then you had all the uh, hardcore stuff that was going to occur. And then you came back to the ring for the finish. It was a great psychology. psychology told a great story. Uh, the match was, was incredible. The thing is, Shane is so damn crazy. Uh, when we were going to go, uh, when we did the spot through the glass, uh, the, first of all, the glass was the wrong glass ordered. It was supposed to be sugar glass, and it was plexiglass. Wow. So, <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. And, uh, oh my gosh. And uh, the um, uh, what's the guy? What do we call him? The magic, the magic man. Magic or, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He uh, was it Ellis? He never, yes, he never tested it. So, here we are. I go to belly belly Shane through the glass, and he bounces off it, hits his head on the on the concrete floor, oh, and he's loopy. He doesn't even know where he is. I'm like Shane, we have to move on. He said, No, no, throw me through the glass again. I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. So I line up to do it again, and I throw him as hard as I can, and he bounces off the glass, hits his head on the floor. I said, Shane, we're done. Let's move on. He said, no, you're going to put me through that effing window right now. So I did it one more time, and he, thank God he went through. And the glass just made an explosion. It, you just knew it was real. And um, when I went in to get him, he was bleeding everywhere. His head, his back, his neck. His arms, I was like, oh, shit, I got to take him back through the other way. <laughs> I had to take him through the glass one more time. So I go to set up to do it, and I throw him, and he bounces off again, hits his head on the floor. By this time, Vince is out of his seat. He's coming on the set. They're holding him back because they don't want him to ruin the show. He's pissed because he wants it to end. He does not want his son to get injured and uh, end up with brain damage, and I don't blame him. But um, I hurried up and grabbed Shane, and I said, screw this. I'm not bellying the belly you through. I'm going to throw you through head first. And I threw him through head first. And, I mean, he got cut up. Oh, his whole face, just <laughs> blood everywhere. It was, and me too. When I went to throw him through, my arm followed through, and all the glass landed on my arm. My arm was cut everywhere. We ended up in the hospital that night. Um, the crazy thing is we were so beat up. Not, neither one of us could wrestle for the next few months. And here we are in the hospital in wheelchairs, and we're high-fiving each other. <laughs> like, hey, we did it, yeah. And it's like, 
we're idiots. Like, <laughs> we're injured. Like, you're not supposed to get injured in a wrestling match. And here we are. We're high-fiving each other in a hospital because, oh, we did steal the show. <laughs> My favorite Shane McMahon story is for a short period of time, he was doing house shows, and we were traveling together with uh, Bubba and Devon, and we pulled up to a Waffle House which is one of the uh, great places to eat when you're in the wrestling business. Shane says, what is that? No, no. Shane goes, no. So he's, he's cool. We go in. We order the waffle. He goes, I got this, guys. I got this. He pulls out his black uh, uh, visa. Uh, anybody that knows anything about waffles, first of all, they don't accept credit cards. <laughs> Not back then. Never mind the black visa at the time. Yeah, he's like, we don't take credit cards. He's like, oh, you don't take credit cards with American Express? We don't take American Express. MasterCard, we don't take credit cards, sir. How about, you know, Diners Club, we don't take credit cards. I said, Shane, sit down. I'll pay the 20 bucks. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Last few things. The, 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 this is just a great story. Do you remember Memphis? Well, we were, on, we were traveling together, you, me, and Adam. And... Uh, He's well now, but he was talking about the painkillers, and I think maybe he had taken one because he called my room, and he goes, Chris, I got to go to the hospital. I said, why? He said, I fell out of bed. I go in his room. He's got this giant gash all down his arm. I said, what happened? He said, I fell out of bed. I said, I don't know what, spikes? Like, <laughs> what did you do? Do you remember this? Yeah. We had to take it. You had this giant gash from falling out of bed. He's still going <laughs> to... That's right there. <laughs> Do you still know this? I day? fell out of bed. I landed on um, uh, the there was a uh, the bed um, frame. Oh yeah, yeah. And there was a spike sticking up, and when I felt you did out fall on a spike. I, oh wow. Yeah, yeah, it went right in my arm. I had to pull it out. It was stuck. <laughs> it was pretty bad. What I recall, though, he he came to the show and had a cat, uh, bandages on. You still worked the show that evening. I worked the show. That's right. Tough son of a bitch. Always working together. hard for the fans. <laughs> Last question for you, Kurt. This has just been great. It's, it's great to see you, man. I haven't seen this guy in a while. Out of all the great matches you had, and there's dozens and dozens and dozens, is the one of them that stands out to you as your favorite, the one you, you think of the, the best? Yeah, I always did. And the crazy thing is when I did it and I completed it, I didn't think it was that good. But I watched it back and I was like, wow, this is my match. This is the top match of my career. And it was 2003 Royal Rumble for the world title against Chris Benoit. If you didn't see that match, go back and watch it. it Chris Benoit, without a doubt, is the best in-ring performer I've ever been in the ring with. From an in-ring perspective, not across the board like, you know, charisma and, you know, everything else. Chris Benoit in the ring, he was the absolute best. And what was it about the match that you loved? Oh, the submission trade-offs, the false finishes, the story we told was... And, and Chris, I felt like I was wrestling myself. He was so intense. He matched my intensity. Sometimes I couldn't match his. That's how intense he was. But, you know, he stayed on you. And I loved that. I loved uh, feeling tired. That's, that's what makes me feel good as a wrestler, is being exhausted. Because that's what I did in the Olympics. I, I did exhaust training. That's when you train when, until you're exhausted, and that's when the training starts. And that's when I'm at my best, is when I'm tired. And Chris would always get me to that level, and that's what I loved about him. Unbelievable stories and just an unbelievable performer, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. <laughs> Kurt Angle, thank you so thank much, you. man.